The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the book of Revelation and chapter number 11. Revelation chapter number 11 this evening as we are continuing to move through our studies here uh, through the book of Revelation. Of course, just the series prior to this, we went through the Old Testament book of Daniel and to kind of set the foundation and the uh, uh, paving the way for our studies here through this last book in the New Testament. Now, um, we will reference back to Daniel a little bit. So if you're here for that uh, series, you'll maybe remember some of these things. If not, that's okay. We will endeavor to make sure that we uh, detail them clearly as we go along. But before we uh, go any further and read the, uh, the scripture here tonight, as we've done every week since then, uh, chapter one, I want to recap again. What's the outline uh, that the Lord gave to John as he was there on the Patmos of things to write? Of course, first uh, point that we see there in the outline is to write about the things that he said out loud, church. The things he saw, that's right, the things that were uh, being uh, happening there, and those are wrapped up in chapter number one. And uh, then we looked at uh, chapters two and three, and uh, so he's to write about the things that he saw, then he was to write about the things that are, and uh, they are are present tense, even though these uh, events and the churches he was specifically writing to um, was some around 8095 or so, uh, and that's past to us, but it's still present in uh, its tense because it's involving the entirety of what we know to be the church age. And so we're still in that age as the church is still around, and uh, probably, and I believe, uh, much closer to the end, and maybe right there on the doorstep of the end uh, than ever before, obviously, uh, but uh, that it's R because we're still involved in those matters there. Then beginning in chapter 4 through the rest of the book, uh, he said uh, we are to write about the things he saw, he was to write about the things that are, and the things that are after these things. And so there's the outline there, of course, and how we saw that in chapter 1 and verse number 19. Uh, of course, after we got into that, through all that, we started into chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, we saw the different um, uh, judgments start to uh, unfold and the play out. We first saw the seven sealed judgment, and uh, Jesus Christ himself took the, the, uh, the book or the scroll from God the Father and began to break open one seal at a time, and as every seal is open, an event takes place and unfolds here on the earth. And then, of course, the last seal is uh, what is actually uh, holding the seven uh, trumpet judgments, and we liken these to like Russian nesting dolls, right? One within the other, and with every seal, the seventh seal is open, it holds the uh, uh, seven trumpets, and then the seventh trumpet uh, holds the seven bowls or vials as well, and uh, we'll get into all those as we move into the latter part of tribulation, but as you see there, that yellow or orange line underneath all of that, uh, these events are unfolding through the first half of the tribulation, and uh, those are the events that we've discussed already from chapter 4 through chapter number 9. Um, of course, as we mentioned all of that, the, uh, the seven seals, the trumpet judgments, the last of the trumpet judgments are also known as the woe judgments uh, because they are brought against um, uh, humanity and mankind itself and uh, then will ultimately give way to those vile or bold trumpets as we discussed already. 
Uh, and part of that, we saw these, uh, this great army or this great uh, unleashing of these uh, locusts that have uh, like the tails of a scorpion that are able to sting and, and men are wanting to, be, uh, to have their life taken from them and they're unable to. Of course, that's just an artist's rendition of uh, what that might look like. And then we moved on, of course, and as we continued on through there, we, uh, we saw that uh, John saw, started to see these visions and uh, a 200,000 uh, individual army uh, that unfolded. And they had horses that they were on. And these great horses had the power to sting in their tail or to bite like a, uh, like a serpent and such. And we have another artist rendition about that, a local artist rendition this time. And uh, that one right there. And uh, Brother Brandon helped us with that one one night on the back of a prayer bulletin. And uh, he showed that to me. I said, I got to add that to the, the sermon notes. And so we thank Brother Brandon for that, and I'm going to put it up for auction to help us pay off the building. Uh, so anybody who wants to have that, we're going to frame it up nice, and uh, you could have that, uh, a, I mean, the first and only copy, and uh, that would be something special for you to have, no doubt. But as we got into chapter 10 last week, we started to see what we call, or we're calling uh, the midpoint of tribulation, or mid-tribulation. Now we know the middle of something is like, a, is like an instant, right? It's not necessary, because once you meet, reach it, you're gone past the first half and you moved on to the second one. However, though, these events that are beginning to unfold in chapter 11, 12, and 13, uh, they all have a, a, uh, a reference to the three and a half year mark, all right? And we'll see that as we move on even tonight. Chapter two, t- 10 is kind of like the introduction to all of this, setting the stage for it. The, and uh, then chapter 14 kind of recaps it and, and moves on to then the last, into the last half. And so they're bookends, chapter 10 and chapter 14, and uh, chapter 11, 12, and uh, 13 or so. Uh, they continue on through all of that, uh, giving us what we see here in this midpoint of tribulation. Now, as we see these things in chapter 11 and in the chapters coming in the next couple of weeks as well, uh, we're gonna, we need to remember that these events aren't necessarily happening chronologically, like one right after the next. They're actually stacked on top of each other. So as we see these things begin to unfold in chapter 11, uh, chapter 12, these events are happening there as well. Uh, those events are happening simultaneously at the same time and stacked on top of another. And so we've come to this midpoint of tribulation here tonight. Uh, Daniel's uh, uh, the midpoint of Daniel's seventieth seven, of course, and uh, we've reached this middle point designated to uh, bring an end of the age and bring about Christ's second coming. It's still only about three and a half years now, as far as the book is concerned, before all that will take place. This is a time, this great tribulation, these last three and a half years, is a time that prophets had spoken about and had discussed for, for decades and years and years. It's a time of un, um, unimaginable calamity. It's a time of death. It's a time of destruction. It's a time of mayhem. And at the center of all of this is an individual. We know him as the Antichrist, right? Of course, we've already discussed that there are many antichrists even in the world today because anyone who takes opposition to Christ would be antichrist, and the whole spirit behind that is always that of the spirit of Satan, but there will be one that kind of outshines them all, if you will, if, for lack of a better term. They will kind of stand head and shoulders above the rest, and as we saw different um, different 
pictures of it or, or uh, identities of this Antichrist. Even throughout history, as we look through the book of Daniel, we see that is the case even still today, but the, the Antichrist will come on the scene. And while he's no doubt part of what's taking place in these first three and a half years, his rule and reign and his torment and terror is really going to be evident in these last three and a half years. Of course, last week as we studied chapter 10, uh, it was that transition chapter leading us here to this middle point of tribulation. Uh, the, seven, uh, the midpoint of the seven years is important, uh, and so therefore it's measured or marked in three different terminologies. We'll find them as we go through chapter 10, uh, chapter 11, 12, 13, 14 as well. We'll see something along the lines of a time, times and half a time. We might see 1,260 days mentioned. We might see 42 months mentioned. But each and every one of those references is a reference to a period of three and a half years. And we know that these events are breaking the first half to the second half because this chapter and the chapters that will come in the weeks to come have those, one of those references as well. In chapter 10... We saw John received a small scroll or a little book from a powerful angel, and uh, that scroll was written, as we discussed, uh, and uh, jotted down by uh, the prophet Daniel. We read that out of the book of Daniel last week as well, and Daniel said, hey, I don't understand any of this. Uh, can somebody explain it to me? He said, it's not for you to know right now. Just seal it up and wait. Of course, John kind of gets that same, uh, same uh, answer from the angel uh, as well in chapter 10, uh, but he's told to eat it. And as he eats it, it's going to be sweet to the taste. It's going to be something that is enjoyable at first, but then it's going to be bitter to his stomach. And then he's told there in the last part of verse number, or verse 11 in chapter 10, he said he's going to prophesy again as well. We discussed all those things last week, and we understand and remember from Daniel 12 and verse number 7, it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, which held in his right hand and left hands in the heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, uh, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. There's our reference there of three and a half years. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, that holy people is a reference to Israel, to the Jewish people. It says, all these things shall be finished. And so after he's accomplished his, his purpose with the holy people, the people of Israel, Jewish people, after a period of three and a half years, it will all be done. Everything that was needing to be done will be done. And so at the end of those three and a half years, Daniel is told that these events of prophecy would be completed. That tells us that the prophecy that Daniel wrote about, the prophecy that John just received in chapter 10, is a reference to the prophecy and the events of the last three and a half years, because it's going to come to a completion is what it says. And so therefore, we understand why Daniel didn't understand it. We understand why Daniel was told, hey, don't say anything about it yet, because could you imagine receiving the prophecy of the last three and a half years without knowing what took place first? Like, it's bad enough knowing what has gone on and what has taken place already and what we've already studied, but could you imagine receiving just the, the horrible part, uh, you know, the horrible, horrible part, I guess you could say. And so we, uh, we start to get a glimpse as to why the Lord would do such a thing and tell Daniel to hold his tongue on that and even John to an extent as well. So as we've learned before already, the ultimate outcome of tribulation is to bring Israel uh, to faith and to fulfill the promises that God had gave to them. The events here in the midpoint of tribulation and then beyond kind of kick that into high gear. 
It's like, let's get going now and get this all accomplished. But finally, we remember, we remember that the events of mid-tribulation are centered on uh, a three-and-a-half-year moment. Uh, they, they span time on either side, of course. And so they kind of straddle the fence of the midpoint. We understand that. And so what we will study in verses 11 through 14, as I already mentioned, are happening all at the same time, uh, right one on top of each other. And so tonight, as let's read in Revelation chapter 11 and to begin here in verses 1 through 6. It says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which, was, it, but the court which is without of the temple, uh, leave out and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be treaded, uh, tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God, before the God of the earth. Verse number five, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth, devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must uh, in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, uh, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Our Father, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for your, your goodness and your love for us, and we thank you for the opportunity to study your word again once tonight. And I would ask that you'd give me the words to speak as I deliver the message, that you'd speak through me, that you'd help us are and glorify you through all that is done. And God, uh, we need your Holy Spirit tonight to be able to accomplish all that needs to be accomplished. We know that he will guide us to all truth if we just yet yield. And uh, so, Lord, help us to yield to him and uh, to allow him to guide us as we study here this evening. And we do ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one tonight, I want you to notice God's plan as we look at the first two verses here in uh, the beginning of chapter number 11. And uh, actually, let's go back and look at the last verse in chapter 10 real quick, and then read on into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. Verse 11 of chapter 10 says, And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And then in verse number 1 of chapter 11, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without, of the, without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be uh, tread underfoot forty and two months. So although the disasters of tribulation are definitely focused on Israel, they have a, pur a purpose in bringing judgment towards them, also trying to bring them back to the Lord as well. Uh, we understand that the wide and uh, wide uh, reach and the massive scale that they are on is going to have an impact on everyone. The entire world is impacted. We've seen parts of the world destroyed already. We've seen parts of the waters uh, put to the place where they're, in, uh, they're uh, unable to be uh, used for any sustenance and uh, not able to even be, uh, be, um, uh, have a boat uh, navigating on them or anything along those lines. But as we see all these events unfolding, they, they start to narrow down, right? With the destruction of parts of the world and parts of the bodies of water, it's starting to narrow in. It's like uh, uh, the scope is kind of focusing in, the scope of a, of a rifle or something is focusing in right on the area that matters most or what God is trying to accomplish. And it's centered in one place, one region of the world, and uh, that 
is, of course, here, uh, Jerusalem, the, the Israel, the Middle East area, and the areas around it. So John here, we see, is he's told that after he's taken that little book, he's going to have to prophesy to many people. And it says, and there was given me in verse number uh, one of chapter 11, uh, read as to a, a rod. And he says to go and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So he's, go, he's, he's brought here to the temple, the temple in, that is uh, definitely here in Jerusalem. And uh, he's, it's a Jewish temple, and we know that. And he's told to measure it, to take note of who's worshiping there. But it's interesting to note that as he's told to measure all this, from here on, we never get any any uh, reply as to what he measured. He doesn't give us the, the information. He doesn't give us, you know, what he found and, and uh, what the measurements and the things that he brought uh, was. So clearly, clearly the size of the building and the measurements is not the point of what we need to know tonight because he never gives us any of that information. That's clear that that would not be our focus or thrust. I believe what is the focus and thrust is the fact that there is a temple, that, that think that's what's be, what, what God's trying to help us to understand here. Now, today, there is no temple. In, in our world right now, there is no Jewish temple there in Jerusalem. In fact, the, the temple mount is, uh, is occupied uh, by the Dome of the Rock there. The Muslims have their, their holy temple there, if you may. But uh, there's, there's just the, the Jewish people have no place to worship like they are said to have been worshiping here. And there's uh, no place, or as they did in the Old Testament as well. The temple of Israel was actually destroyed back in 70 AD uh, by the Romans, and it hasn't existed since that day. Uh, though the Orthodox Jews, they desire to rebuild and they desire to have a temple that they could worship in, for more, or nearly 2,000 years it's been something that they have not been able to accomplish. But according to John's vision here, according to what we read here in chapter number 11, there is a Jewish temple. There is a Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and there's a place where he's told to go and to measure and to even count the people and to take note of the people that are worshiping there. And uh, when that temple is there, we find that this nation, uh, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, are going to go about worshiping like they long to, worshiping like they have done in, in, in uh, decades past. In the design of the temple, though, the way that it would be set up, the altar sits outside in the courtyard around the building that would house the holy place and the holy of holies. That courtyard itself is surrounded by a wall that would separate the Jews from the Gentiles. But John is told to measure only the courtyard where the altar stands and where the, Jew, the worshipers would be gathered, not the court where Gentiles would be welcomed in. And so these instructions serve to focus our attention, I believe, on three facts concerning this point as we begin into this midpoint of tribulation. First is this, that as we enter middle tribulation period, we learn that the temple is operating in Israel and Jewish people are worshiping there. So consider what's taking place here. We've, we have been discussing three and a half years of, of unprecedented disasters, Three and a half years of, of time and circumstances and situations that have never been known to this world before. But even in the midst of this, halfway through it, the Jewish people are going about their daily worship routine almost as if nothing is happening elsewhere in the world. 
Now, if that is true, then that might suggest, as we look back, I believe it was in chapter 6 of Revelation, uh, where God said that when that judgment, those judgments were coming, but not to touch the, the oil and the wine. And we made just a, just a simple aside reference to the fact that that could mean that that particular judgment, sets of judgment, were being withheld from the people of Israel, for that re- from that region uh, of Israel. Uh, and if that's the case, then what we see here, the fact that the Jewish people are just going about their daily business as if nothing else is going on, while all the calamity is taking place in the world, it might be just another example that God is somehow protecting His people, or at least that region, from the great destruction and the great uh, calamities that are taking place. And so while the rest of the world is in turmoil and uh, cursing the name of God even, Israel is at rest to an extent. And his people are actually being drawn closer to him through their worship. Secondly, we also learn that the existence of the temple doesn't necessarily mean that the age of the Gentiles has been completed, at least not yet. Because look at what we read there in verse number two already. It says at the latter, or middle portion of it or so, it says not to measure the court, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And then it says this, and the holy city shall they th- uh, tread underfoot 40 and two months. Now, 40 and two months, 42 months, that's a, one of our references, right? That's one of, the, our, of our references for three and a half years. So even though we are only three and a half years away from Jesus' return, still the city of Jerusalem will remain to be trampled under the feet of the Gentiles as was one of the criterias for what we see as the age of the Gentiles from Christ himself there in the Gospels. But, of course, we understand that the trampling is just going to get worse. Then, of course, that brings us to the third and uh, maybe final important detail at this opening of chapter number 11. And we find that uh, it says here specifically that it'll be for 40 and two months. There's our reference, as we mentioned just a moment ago. And uh, that's three and a half years. And this reference tells us that this chapter and the events of this chapter are anchored in this midpoint, right? That, we said that's going to give us the details. That's going to give us the sign that, hey, this is where we're at. We're at this midpoint, and uh, these events are breaking through, or they're cresting over uh, to bring us into this last half of tribulation. Therefore, it has something to say about how we will move from the first half into the last half. But the question becomes, how does this chapter relate to this midpoint? As we're trying to see how all this fits together and all, how is this going to relate to the, the, this midpoint? And to learn that, we keep on reading. And so to, tonight we've seen, number one, the plan of God's plan here as he tells John to, to go out here and we begin to, to uh, measure this area. And that we see that there's a temple that is taking place that gives us another insight into knowing that, hey, we are definitely in the tribulation period because what marks the tribulation period is the... Uh, is the treaty that is made between the Antichrist and the people of Israel, of course. But not only do we see God's plan, but notice we see God's promise as well as we read through verses 3 through 6. It says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. They shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. 
These have power, the, the witnesses, so these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So John's told to go here to Jerusalem. He's to go to the temple to start measuring it. And he doesn't give us any information as to what he finds there and what he sees. And almost out of nowhere, abruptly, he begins describing what seems to be a brand new scene that is involving two prophets, as we read there in these verses just a moment ago. We're hearing about the temple, but now we're suddenly talking about two prophets. And the two topics almost seem unrelated. But as we're going to see as we study through these verses, these two are actually quite closely connected. John says that these men will prophesy 1,260 days. And so there again is another one of those references for the three and a half year time frame, uh, as we said, is another one of those ways. And with with the fact that John is giving us this information, it's connecting their operation with the operation of the worship in the temple that's taking place. It's to, it's to help us to understand that these events and the things that are taking place are connected and they're happening, happening simultaneously. That it doesn't just happen after the fact, but it's happening alongside of the worship that is taking place there in the temple. So during the time the temple stands, John said 42 months, these men also prophesied to Israel 1,260 days, the same time frame. So like the operation of the temple, the ministry of these two men is closely connected to this midpoint of tribulation, cresting over into the last half, if you may. They are called the Lord's two witnesses, and the and a witness is someone who testifies concerning the truth of some matter, right? Now, um, I, when I was in Arkansas, living in Arkansas, I uh, got a, uh, a summons to, uh, to show up for court, right, and to maybe serve on a, on a jury, and, and uh, I did everything that I could to try to not have to participate in that. You say, that's your civic duty. You need to be glad to do it. It's true, I should, but I wasn't. And uh, so I, I tried to do all that I could. I showed up. Uh, well, first off, they tell you on the paper, call every day on this certain day, and listen, you're part of group such and such, and if they say this one, then you have to report the next day at a certain time. And so I called every day for several weeks that, that I was supposed to call, and every week that I called, it was, it was no, we need group such and such, not my group to report. I was like, okay, yes, I'm, I'm able to skip it another, one more week. Finally, the week came that when I called in, it said it was my group, it was that time to report. So I think it was a Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, that I had the report, and so I got there early that morning and went in, and of course, they go through the whole process, asking you questions and all of that, and I tried to make sure that they knew that I was not the man for the job. I said, uh, I'm a conservative. I'm a pastor. You know, all these types of, I love, I love firearms, you know, everything that I could think of, you know, to, to, to say, I'm not the guy to be picked, and sure enough, they picked me. And uh, so I'm sitting there on the jury. I mean, it started that day. And uh, thankfully, it wouldn't take several days. I was there all day long, but we were able to come to a conclusion on it. But as I sat on the jury panel uh, that day, uh, they would call witnesses to the stand. They would, they would swear the witness in, and then they'd ask questions. The lawyers would ask questions, and the witness would give an account or attest to what they had seen, to the truths that they knew. 
And so we understand that's what these two witnesses are doing. They are witnessing of the truths of some matter. And we're reminded what the law says concerning the necessity of witnesses as well to be prior to a condemnation. In Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse number 15, Scripture says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall a matter be established. And so that was the law that the Lord gave, and this was something that the Jewish people took very seriously. So if there was ever questions, why is there two witnesses? I believe that gives us the insight as to why God would use two specific witnesses in this manner here this evening as we study out of chapter 11. And But before the law could ever condemn someone for their sin, it had to be proven true or testified as true, but from the mouths of at least two witnesses. So the ministry of these two men serves the purpose of condemning the world for its sin prior to judgment, all right? That's what they're doing. They're, they're standing there. They're, I believe that their home is there at the temple. They're, that's kind of their home base, and they're proclaiming the fact that the world is guilty, guilty before the Lord. Guilty of the sin of unbelief, guilty of the sin of rejecting the Savior, and so on and so forth. And as we often talk about being a witness for Christ, we oftentimes think of it as the opportunity of being able to witness of the glorious truth of His love, right? Man, I get to go out and I get to tell people that Jesus loves them, that He gave His life for them, that if they would just merely trust in Him, yeah, they're sinners and that their sin is what needs to be forgiven, but we, I like to make much of Jesus' love and being able to do that and tell them that He loved them so that they could have a home in heaven. And we are testifying of the truth of His saving power. However, on the flip side, I believe these individuals, these witnesses, are testifying and they're witnessing uh, specifically about the sinful state and the need or, or the coming judgment, the coming punishment that will come for mankind. And that's, the, that's what I believe this ministry of these witnesses are for. We find here in, in uh, verse number three, it also says that they are clothed in sackcloth. And this is the traditional garment of a prophet who is in mourning, who is suffering for Israel. And it also tells us that they have supernatural power as well. As we had seen already in chapter 7, the 144,000 witnesses, they go out and they do all this witnessing and, and uh, they're telling others about Christ and the great multitude come to know Christ because of their witness. Um, and we talked about how people like to speculate who they are, right? And uh, religions are even built off of just that one portion of Scripture. And then all of a sudden, that religious group grew to more than 144,000. And then they started scratching their head thinking, how do we exactly make light of all this? And, and they're still trying to figure all that out today. And, but people love to try to speculate about those things. And this is no different, my friends. These two witnesses are of two individuals that although the Scripture doesn't expressly say names of who they are, there have been guesses and, and thoughts and dogma that is not even necessary considering it. Now in John 4... Uh, I'm sorry, in, in, in Revelation 4, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 7, verse number 11, verse number 4 is what I'm trying to say. I'm going to get it some way, one of these days. It says, these, it says that they are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God on the earth. And so we do know that the scriptures already discuss 
discuss these individuals. And if you want to, you can go back with me to the book of Zechariah in chapter number four, and we're going to find a reference to these individuals. Zechariah chapter number four, verse number one begins, and it says, and the angel that talked with me came again and walked me, uh, I'm sorry, waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick of all gold, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and a seven lamps thereon and seven pipes, the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it. Uh, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Uh, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by might nor by power, but by spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, uh, so, uh, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, gra uh, grace, grace unto it. Then as we move on into the next few verses, verses 8 through 14, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel hath laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you, for who hath despised the, uh, the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the, pl uh, the plummet uh, in thy hands, Zerubbabel, uh, with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto them, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlesticks and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What, uh, what be these two olive branches, which though the two golden pipes, uh, uh, through the two golden pipes, empty the golden oils out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So Zechariah, we understand, was written uh, shortly after Daniel and shortly after Ezekiel wrote their books. And they, it addresses similar topics as Daniel and, and Ezekiel would have as well. Specifically, this book of Zechariah was written to those exiles of Israel that had returned to the land after the 70-year exile was completed. Of course, we remember that the Lord had designated 70 years as their punishment outside the land because they ignored the land Sabbaths. We discussed this as we went through the book of Daniel. If you were part of that, you might remember. But nevertheless, because they had rejected and forsaken the land Sabbaths, the Lord said, here's your punishment. They were exiled for those 70 years. And then after that 70 years of exiles, uh, there would be, be followed another 77s, if you may, 490 years for what we know as the age of the, of the Gentiles. But after the first 70 years, the people of Israel were allowed to come back to their land. And this is who Zechariah is writing to. They, these people that had come back, they're just a small group, but they had come back to Israel, and uh, they're dwelling there again. And uh, in particular, he's writing because they lacked a temple. They didn't have a worship place. It would take them about 49 years in order to rebuild the temple. And in that time, the Lord spoke to his people through several different prophets, one of them being Zechariah. 
Zechariah's book speaks to Israel about the Lord's restoring their fortunes uh, while judging the nations around them. Uh, That took advantage of them as well. And in particular, the Lord assures Israel that his servant Zerubbabel will succeed in rebuilding the temple. Now, that accomplishment will be done not by man's might, but he says by the power of the Lord, by God's spirit, as we read there. And that temple will sit upon a uh, top of a plain uh, on the mountain of God, and there will uh, therefore do not despise the day of small beginnings, he says there. And the Lord is alluding to the future of a modest, uh, to, to the future modest temple. But what Zerubbabel will build will eventually, although it be modest at first, it will ultimately eventually become Herod's temple, one of the greatest structures that the world has ever known. And it will sit atop that flat plain uh, built to hold a massive building. But then Zechariah wonders about some of the elements that he sees in all these visions, right? The lampstands, the olive trees standing on either side. And the Lord tells Zechariah that these are the two anointed ones. And that phrase, the two anointed one, it literally means two sons of oil, all right? So what is being said here is that these two individuals will have a worldwide ministry. Now, it's hard to understand how two could have a worldwide ministry in such a way, especially in those days, right? But as we continue to progress throughout our world, we understand that it's getting easier and easier for such a thing to take place. But now here in chapter number 11 of Revelation and verse number 4, we're told that these two prophets of tribulation are fulfilling this prophecy of Zechariah. And back here in Revelation chapter 11, we're told that these men have the supernatural supernatural protection uh, that prevents their enemies from harming them. In fact, they can even make fire come out of their mouths to devour any enemy that might try to harm them. And now that's quite a superpower. I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing to consider. And it leads us maybe to wonder, why in the world would someone hate them so much that they'd want to harm them, knowing that this could be their fate? What would, t- what would cause someone to try to test such a fate. What, what, what are these guys saying that is so, uh, so negative to these individuals that they'd want to do something? Well, these verses don't, don't tell us exactly what they're stating, but notice in, uh, in um, verse number six, these, the prophets, they had the power to shut heaven, that it rained not on the days of their prophecy, had the power over waters to turn it to blood, smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. So they can stop the rain from falling. They can turn the water into blood. They can bring all kinds of plagues. And uh, now we know why the men of the earth are hating these men so much. Their, 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 their witness against them is, is speaking and bringing forth some of these judgments and these things that have been unfolding for the last three and a half years. And we know that these guys were prophesying to the world for these three and a half years. And in that time, they could not be harmed. But meanwhile, they brought great harm on the earth. And so therefore, naturally, everyone hated them for that. And that's why we would find someone wanting to come and bring harm against them. Now, you still might be saying, Pastor, I want to know who these men are, though, because you said people have been talking about it and such, and, you know, obviously, I've heard Elijah, I've heard Moses. Uh, The Bible doesn't specifically say. In fact, some people have even taken these men to just be symbolic, that they aren't actually men. I've read things as far as, as crazy far as to say that these two men are just representative of the Twin Towers, 
And when they fell, that all came to be coming to a close, and that was their time. I'm just telling you, folks, people try to read into some crazy things. That's not necessary for us, folks. That's not necessary for us to know. And even if we did know, who cares? What we do know is that these men are accomplishing the work of the Lord during this time, and for three and a half years, they prophesy or they witness over all that is taking place. And while Jesus is bringing all these plagues and allowing, he's using the events as he opens up the scrolls and the, judge, or the trumpets are blowing, he's also using these men to bring forth these judgments and these plagues. And we have all this to take place during this time. And so naturally, the world will see these men as the specific cause of all the tragedies that come upon the earth. During the first three and a half years of tribulation, they'll be blamed for every bad thing that happens, which will ensure that the world connects the events they see with the explanation of, that these men have to offer. They're offering the fact that their sin is testifying against them, and this is the cause of what is it. See, no one's going to be able to pin all of these horrific things to climate change. No one's going to be able to pin, you know, all these horrific things because of fracking. It's going to have to come back and say, this is supernatural and the Lord is at hand and these guys are the Lord's witnesses and so it's their fault. But ultimately what he's doing, what the Lord is doing, he is showing that it's his power. Just like it wouldn't be the temple that would be, a, be done through the men's, men's might, but through His Spirit, through His power, saith the Lord. These things are being accomplished through His Spirit, through His power. And the w- world will choose to see these men as the cause, and they will look no further. But the Lord only appoint the, appoints these men to warn the world, it says, for three and a half years. So when we reach the middle point of tribulation, as we start to crest over into the last half, these men's ministry are up. And as we move on into the, the, this chap, the rest of this chapter and weeks to come, we'll see what happens next. Our Father, we do thank you so much for uh, your word and for how it uh, speaks to our hearts. And time after time after time again, just continues to show you in control and uh, show you at the, at, the, at, the, at the spear, the head of all of this. And Lord, I ask now that you'd help us as we continue to study that you'd guide us and that you would help us to, uh, uh, to just trust your work and your will through everything. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think there was a few more uh, slides. I forget. There's the witnesses and artist depiction. Brother Brandon, help us with that one. Uh, but uh, we have uh, all these things taking place here. And again, as we see it all take, uh, unfolding, the four seals, the four horses, and then, of course, the fifth seal, the martyrs underneath the altar, uh, the sixth seal, those supernatural calamities, of course. The seventh seal would be broken open and have the trumpet judgments to come after that and uh, all the things we've discussed through that. And now these two witnesses are taking... Or, uh, this is all taking place during the first half of tribulation, along with the 144,000, the martyrs being killed as well. This is all taking place, and it breaks over, it crests over as we move in through mid-tribulation into the last half, and that's how we are moving on in through the rest of these chapters. If you have a prayer request card that has yet to be turned in, hold it up high. Uh, Brother Matchett's in the back. He'll get those to us real quick, and uh, we'll make mention of these and go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Evening. And uh, so if uh, you have a request that you want us to make sure that we mention and add, be sure to give it, give it to him so we can make mention of it here tonight.